Welcome to season three of And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special events, or buy some of our merchandise, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Oh, and if you enjoy this podcast, please rate us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast listening site is. We really appreciate that effort. The USC Thornton School of Music has been hailed by Rolling Stone magazine as the cutting-edge department that's become the site of Los Angeles' most productive new music scenes and was recently ranked as the top school of music in the country by The Hollywood Reporter. To learn more about USC Thornton or to schedule a campus visit, go to www.usc.edu forward slash music. 
I listen to you do that intro every week, and it still amazes me every single time. Oh, that's amazing. So good at those. It's crazy. So just to give you guys some background who don't know the podcast and those who do, Joe is the guy who I sit next to during every single interview. And we were thinking there would be it'd be really cool to have a discussion with this guy so you can actually hear that he's a human who's not just like it's not a button that I'm pressing and I just call it Joe London, but like it's an actual human and he's currently I'm just working. The name of your computer. Yeah, exactly. You're currently working. Yeah. As yeah. you can see, he's he's actually running Pro Tools uh, I felt a from naked the stage without, without my rig. So I felt yeah. I had to keep it nice and close. So, also, that was so awesome. What happened before we started? Um, how, can you explain what that? Okay, that was? so one of the things that this this program didn't exist when I was here, and it's nice to see how uh, how powerful it is, and and what happens uh, before you guys actually have interviews or you have guess is people raise their hand and they say what song they have coming out they tell us about where their shows are things like that and it's it's really cool to see that you guys support each other like that i hope you guys actually get to each other's shows and and encourage each other because maybe the best advice i ever got was be friends with assistants because as soon eventually they'll be bosses and Mm -hmm. you know the uh, one of the producers of the podcast, Casey, who's in the second row, we were on each other's hall at Party on on the third floor at Party, and we were fresh. Uh, uh, we were we were that. yeah we were freshmen together, and here we are, uh, four years later. <laughs> uh, uh, for those who can't hear, there was so much laughter. In the background. Um, so, uh, yeah, Casey and I have known each other since we were freshmen, and I think you'll see that a lot of the people you're in class with right now, s- somebody here is going to be a very successful marketing person, and somebody here is going to be a great manager. You might have multiple ones. You might have great publishers and great songwriters and great artists among you. So uh, just make sure you guys support each other because mm-hmm. uh, you guys are the music industry. You're not trying to get into it, but you're actually just starting into it. But you're already in it, so you need to know that. That's why supporting each other is helpful. And you know, you guys who are putting songs up on DSPs and on Spotify and whatnot, you know, that is the business you are you're putting, already doing it. You're already <laughs> doing it. So congratulations to you guys. It's awesome. Yeah. You should give yourselves a round of applause. Yeah. So let's pretend you and I don't know each other. Okay. Uh, so you were born in uh, Milwaukee. I was born in Milwaukee. I was born in specifically Greenfield, Wisconsin. Where's that? It's like 15 minutes out of like downtown Milwaukee. North, south? It's uh, a little south. south. Oh, south. so we were not that far from each other. I mean, no, I was not that far. older. Huh. How about that? Like what? Like an hour and a half maybe? Not Deerfield. Mean, not even Deerfield, Illinois. Deerfield. It's got to yeah, be, two hours, maybe. you know, <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Hell yeah, we got some Deerfieldians. Um, I mean, we got to be, you know, like, what, 30 minutes or 40 minutes, whatever. Yeah, anyway, so but we don't you know have, each um, other, so. uh, you have brothers and sisters? I have one brother who actually lives out here now. Okay, older, younger? Two years older. Is he a musician? He is not. He actually is very good at guitar. But uh, never fully pursued music. Um, did your parents play music? No, my parents didn't 
like my mom would play a little like occasional like sing around the house and like she loved music, played music all the time. But my grandma is kind of a great story. So my grandma, my mom's mother, um, she was a singer of a choir and my grandpa was the conductor of a, a chorus and orchestra. Wow. So basically they both worked for this company called Allen Bradley, which was like a switch electronics company in, uh, in the Midwest. And back in the day, these companies would have like entertainers that they would pay to travel all over the United States and play shows for like Christmas and all like their events and stuff. So my grandpa and grandma met as the conductor and as a girl in the chorus, 18 year difference in age, which is pretty crazy. Um, Got married, had four kids. And uh, so they kind of yeah. introduced you to music. Totally, one hundred percent. Like yeah. my grandma's incredible piano player, incredible um, singer. Well, did you learn religious music? No, no, didn't grow up very religious, yeah. um, but just grew up around music of all kinds. All when kinds when did you start playing? You started playing guitar, right? I started playing guitar. Yeah, I was like the kid who always wanted to play guitar, but my mom was like, "I'm going to buy you a guitar." You're going to play it for a week, and then it's just going to sit there and collect dust. Um, but finally, eventually, I convinced her. I was like, I, I'm, I really want to learn. And so she bought me an acoustic. I really wanted an electric guitar because I was like, I don't want to learn acoustic guitar. But she bought me an acoustic. She's like, if you play for a little bit and you get good, we'll buy you an electric guitar. So she bought me acoustic. Uh, she, like, loved Bon Jovi. So when I was a kid, I, she was like, if you learn, like, these Bon Jovi songs... We'll buy an electric guitar. One, which is kind of crazy, because like playing Bon Jovi songs on a, an acoustic guitar was very difficult and really crushed my hands, but gave me enough, you know, strength for when I actually got the electric guitar. It's funny because like, you get an electric guitar, you then have to get an amp, and you get an amp, you have to learn tones, and you have to start going through all these frequencies and learning what everything does. And that's why I never played electric guitar really. It was just like it was such a pain in the ass. I was like, well, I'll you have just... to learn four things versus just. Yeah, I mean, that's four too many things for me. I'm um, pretty sure she just didn't want me to play electric because she didn't want to have to listen to me jamming distortion guitar right. at all hours of the day. When you, when you finally got it, were you doing that? Oh, yeah, yes. Did, did you, just it, terrible, terrible electric guitar all day long. It was, must have been miserable to listen to. What's the earliest recording you have of you playing? Like, were you recording yourself on a Tascam or anything like that when you were no, growing my, up? My, so in high school, my buddy had, like, some free program. I forget what it was. It was, like, n- some strange, like, maybe, like, Windows, Microsoft program that was, like, a sound recorder. It wasn't really meant for, like, tracking music, but it, it recorded, and I think it was you could do separate tracks. And so we would record little, like, guitar things and started, re- like, writing songs, you know, like freshman in high school. What's it, What's your first song called? Oh, boy. Uh, I think... Let me think here. We had a song called Daydreaming. Ah. That was kind of a nice song. Daydream well, about, you know, that special someone. Did you have a special someone at the time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like the kid who fell in love like when I was really young. Like I was always in love with someone. Always had a crush on somebody. And you Got my heart way- broken when I was like seven. Really? Oh, yeah. So you remember. It seems like it's like... You still feel it. Oh, yeah. You want to hear a crazy story about getting heartbroken when you're a kid? So I fell in love with this girl. She was kind of like, she was two years older than me. Um, 
just mad in love cougar. when I was you're, total you're cougar. Seven, yeah. seven, no, seventh seven. No, this was when I was in like seventh grade, so I was uh, what, like 14 yeah. or something like that. Um, and my family would go on family vacations with her family, and so we'd always hang out, and it was great. And then we'd come back from family vacations, and we'd be in school, and then and then she like wouldn't want to talk to me. But she ends up starting to date my brother, who's two years older than me, which when just destroyed me when I was a kid. Ugh. just wrecked me. But but I think you know it gave me some good uh, you know some good shit for later on writing songs. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's really honest. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, what was your band called in high school? Um, our band was called Hash. But not for the reason you think. No, no, no. Actually. You guys don't understand. You, know, you guys are thinking like West Coastians. I don't know if that's a word. But like Hash where we grew up is probably literally like potatoes. <laughs> Yeah, corned beef hash. Like you grew up in the Midwest, and that's like like uh, a bulk of my meal is carbohydrates and starches. Exactly. You're probably naming your band after hash. like quality potatoes. Yeah, yeah, a good breakfast at the local. A, a good, a good, a good breakfast side dish. Um, <laughs> did you play around? Yeah, yeah, we played all over. Like you know, we played the battle of the bands at our high school, and and like I'm trying to think what else we played. We you know we'd have like house parties with friends and do green day covers and like were you try good? slide in one yeah we were pretty good i mean we weren't great but we were like a good high school band you know how do you know sang harmonies uh, okay. i didn't sing but but two of the guys in the band sang pretty good can harmonies. you sing at all no i'm terrible at singing i sing more than i should for, <laughs> for, for how good i am singing um did you know that it was great or good at the time like can you t- when did you start realizing like the the difference between good and great that's a good question. Um, I think like once we started actually recording the music, you know, and I'd play it for like my parents or, or you know, some like uncles or my brother. And they, they were like, yeah, this is actually kind of sick. And like they'd actually listen to it outside of like other music and stuff. Um, I was like, okay, this, this is cool. Like people are actually listening to something you made, which is probably one of the best feelings ever. Sure. So that was just like a thing that I found early on. I was like, you know, this is cool. Whether it was good or not, I'm not quite sure when I ever... I'm not sure if I still know that. Right. Um, but, Were you, you know. thinking at the time, like, oh, you know, I should pursue this as a profession? Did you know it was a profession? I didn't forever. No. I mean, it's I sort of like you, I you're either it. in a band or you're not in a band. Exactly. You know, yeah. Exactly. I also like grew up playing a lot of sports. And so, like, when I was, like, in high school, like, sports was, like, more of a thing than music. But I always loved music way more than I loved actually playing sports. I just happened to be kind of good at it. What were your sports? I was, uh, I was swimming, cross country, and, and uh, like, a little bit of track, track and field. Did you um, look at schools for sports? Oh, yeah. Like, definitely was, like, going to go to school for swimming. That was kind of my main one. I was, like, doing that ever since I was a kid. But, like, after doing that for so long, I just had so much more passion for music. So my plan was, like, to just go to a college, figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I guess I'm kind of jumping around, but figuring out what I wanted to do and ended up meeting a couple guys in college, starting a band, and then... Where was that college? So I went to college at a place called University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, like Oshkosh Bagosh, the clothing company. Um... 
I imagine uh, the uniforms were all denim for all the sports. Yeah, exactly. Just, like, just track denim and football. field in like, a, in like a sick denim onesie. <laughs> yeah, so um, you guys started a band and uh, what was that band called? So that band was called A, B, and the C, which is the band that I actually moved out to California with the guys that I met in college. Um, you left school early to do that. Yeah, I only went to school for one year. So what gave you the confidence to say, you know what, this isn't for me. I'm going to pursue, I'm going to move somewhere. And why did you guys say you were going to, I mean, you're in Oshkosh and you moved to the Bay Area, right? Yeah, right. we moved to the Bay Area. Why so, the Bay Area? So the way How it does kinda, this happen? Yeah, the way it kind of goes is that we met about halfway through our first semester. I met this guy named Coley and a guy named Zach Pingle, who was the bass player. And it was... Coley was a singer, I was a guitar player, and, the, and the Zach was the bass player. And the se- whole second semester of, of college, we were like skipping, I, you should not do this, but we were skipping class, driving down to Chicago, playing shows, just being really active and like playing music and pursuing the band. And I think we just like, so the guys that I started the band with had just broken up with a band that they were in, um, who was, I believe they were signed to a major I can't remember, but that had broken up. And I think me coming into a couple guys who had already been signed, they kind of already knew the, the business a little bit. I think that was like a boost of confidence for me to be like, oh shit, like this is actually a thing. Like these guys have been on tour around these states. Like that's crazy. And when you're playing in Chicago, I mean, it's the third biggest city in the, the country. Oh, yeah. So you're playing at, you know, these huge, were you playing like Metro or Elbow Room? We or played like, where at Shuba. Yeah, Shuba's. Yeah, yeah that sure. was kind of our main spot. And yeah. we would like, you know, we would create a fake email as like our band manager of course we didn't have a band manager and we would do anything to just get an opening slot on like our favorite bands um our did that work opening. it did it always does it always works it's crazy just create a fake manager and don't sound like an idiot i used on email. to i used to say i'm sure i've told this story but I, when i was at party i used to call there was a thing called yellow pages of rock when um there was something called Yellow Pages, and um, and it had the list the the direct numbers of all the execs from all the companies, and it was updated every year, and it was like six hundred bucks. But I knew someone who had like the nineteen ninety seven one. I was like, well, I mean, some of them, some of these numbers still work. So I used to call, and my roommate's name was Mike Thompson. So I've, I know I've said this story before, but I would just call and be like, "Hi, I'm Mike Thompson from this is Michael." From Raw Songs Records, I've got an artist you gotta hear. And I went and I would go and borrow somebody's car, drive to somebody's office, and you know make CDs and give them demos. And that's how I like started meeting people. You can lie your way into the industries, kids. <laughs> yeah, you don't even need a degree. Fake it till you make I'm it. I'm just kidding, Chris. Of course, you need a degree, <laughs> unless you don't. In this case, oh yeah, exactly. Um, so. So basically, yeah, we, uh, yeah. Were, we were going down to like play shows in Chicago and stuff. And eventually we just decided that this is something we all really wanted to do. Like the music was really, was really good. And so I went to my parents and I was like, I'm going to drop out of school. I'm going to move to California to be in a band. Was and it like course, a sit fir- down? Like a real like, oh, yeah. it had to be like. An- and the crazy thing was like, it was right when our second semester grades came out. And mine were like, my second semester was terrible, but the only class I got an A in was my music class. So I felt like that was a nice little like, I'm dropping out of school, but like, see, like this music thing, Mm. you know, I got an A here. So you should let me move to California and be in a band. 
So this is end of your second semester. So it's like it's springtime in in Wisconsin. Yeah, you know she's beautiful out. Blue, beautiful. It's not gray anymore. So you're yeah. like, look, I'm my leaving. Whole, but yeah, my vision is just complete tunnel vision to to doing music. And she was like, nah. <laughs> short, yeah, yeah, short conversation. That. Very short. Right. But but here comes my grandma back in my musical grandma. Uh, my grandpa had passed away, but my grandma basically went to my mom and was like, look. You got to let him go. If, if you have passion and if he has passion to do something, like, you got to let him do it. And so she basically convinced my mom, like, you got to let him move to California and, and pursue music. That's, I have, like, such a special bond with my grandma, especially just for, for doing that. Is she still around? Yeah. And every time I go home for Christmas, I'm like, Grandma, you have to play me piano because she's an incredible piano player. So every year, she, I think around this time, she starts warming her fingers up and nice. get, getting ready to put, put on a little performance for me when I get, come home. What's her name? Marsha. Nice. Grandma Marcia. Red Hair. She has big red hair. Every day gets dressed up, dolled up to like, you know, the nines and just fully. She's the best. Shout out to Marsha. Yeah. Killing it. All right. So Killing you're in, uh, so you moved to the Bay Area. Where? So the reason we moved to the Barrio is we actually met um, a couple guys from a, an awesome band called the Morning Benders. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of them. So we became friends with this is back in the MySpace days. Um, we're huge fans of their band. Just like sent them a message on MySpace. We're like, hey, we're a band from Milwaukee. Love your guys' music. Here's some tunes. He hit me back. He's like, yo, we're playing Milwaukee in a month. We need a place to crash. Can we crash at your house? So it was like, sick. Come crash at your house. So just became friends with all of them. They crashed my parents' house, and then the, the lead singer of the band was like, I work at a studio in San Francisco. Your guys' music's cool. You should come to San Francisco. I'll record you and give you, like, a deal. So, that, like, literally a month later, we were on our way to San Francisco. That's incredible. Where did you yeah. live? Like, well, like once we you were out of that? We literally moved to San Francisco. We pulled, we driving over the Bay Bridge. Yeah. They have no place to go. Oh my God. <laughs> so your mom's like, don't pursue music. And then she's like, you're proving her right every step of the way. Every step of the way. So you go and you record, and who's, who's recording you at this? So basically, we like f- end up meeting some people, staying at their house. Um, and yeah, a month later, his name's Chris Chu. Um, he gets back from tour and he's like, okay, we, let's do a week. So we scrounged up like any money we had. We were literally for like two years, we were busking on the street in San Francisco. Oh, amazing. Eight hours a day, yeah. just, you know, doing Beach Boys and Beatles songs because we were very Beach Boys and Beatles influenced. So we were doing like, you know, our best, uh, what, was the, what was like a big one? Um, Obladi, Oblada. Uh, classic. That one, yeah, hit it off really well. Yeah. We did some like Paul Simon and some Everly Brothers and stuff, like all kind of old classic songs. But and, like, and you would try to sing harmony, and they're like, no, Joe. Yeah, I, w- I was always trying to sing harmony, but yeah. they're like, you're not no. singing key and key. Right, 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 like, right, shit, right. okay, I'll just play guitar. Right. Um, and so, uh, yes, we did a week with Chris at this uh, amazing studio in San Francisco called Different Fur Records. And so the, the manager who used to manage the Morning Benders um, was a guy named Steve Brodsky, um, the late and the great. Yeah, he passed away a few years ago. Um, but we basically just fully infiltrated their whole camp kind of amazing um and just started like making records at that studio and then steve kind of started took us under his wing and started managing us um and it was just a a long journey of of being in a band and and writing and learning to produce and, and all that stuff 
The USC Thornton School of Music has been hailed by Rolling Stone magazine as the cutting-edge department that's become the site of Los Angeles' most productive new music scenes and was recently ranked as the top school of music in the country by Hollywood Reporter. Offering degrees in music industry, film scoring, popular music, music production, jazz, and classical, USC Thornton alumni are award-winning songwriters, renowned film composers, Grammy Award-winning artists, and industry leaders, including myself. Set within the heart of Los Angeles, students have a unique access to the music profession that provides just as many learning opportunities outside the classroom as within. To learn more about USC Thornton or to schedule a campus visit, go to www.usc.edu forward slash music. So did you produce the band? I did. I did. I produced like a lot of the early demos. Did you know that's what you were doing? Were you like, yeah, no. I'm producing? You're like, no, I'm going to record my no, band. No, I'm like, we need to figure out a way to record our music. So I like really shittily in the beginning, tried, you know, bought like a microphone and tried to do my best and just literally learned to produce just by doing it and watching tons of YouTube and just a lot of trial and error, honestly. When you were done with the music, what did you do with it? Like, were you selling it while you were playing shows? Were you sending it out to people at yeah, I mean, we start, companies? Yeah, we, and, you know, we're playing shows all over, started selling it. You know, Steve's tried to get started, like, pitching us to labels and stuff. And, you know, along the way, there was a bunch of potentials that never ended up happening. But, you know, we're selling it online, selling it at shows. So how stuff. did you meet Ricky Reed, who becomes... Yeah, so, the, okay, so... At the same time, do you guys know a producer named Ricky Reed or Wallpaper? Is that name? Yeah, yeah. Amazing producer. Good friend. Um, so he, at the same time that we moved to San Francisco, he started working with this, that same guy, Steve Brodsky, who started managing Wallpaper. So this was about like halfway through the band's kind of like life. Steve was like, you guys are great. You should meet this awesome producer I'm starting to work with. His name is Ricky. Uh, you, you should show him some of your songs. So we did, and he liked some of the songs, and he was, like, down to produce a couple of them. So he produced, I think, three of our songs, one of which was, like, our big single that kind of got us the most traction. For those of you who don't know who Ricky is, he was nominated for Producer of the Year last year, probably should have been nominated for Producer of the Year this year. You should He's look incredible. him up. We, he was, I think, our, you know, one of our first five interviews, yeah. something like that. I, first three maybe he's a, he's like he's a, a good friend of both of ours and so i asked him in this segment what would ricky reed ask joe london oh, gosh. Uh, he asked the, these three questions for you Ooh, three a three-parter he okay. says you want to get last minute tequila brunch at salazar do i yeah this, always okay i'll tell him <laughs> that he also said can i borrow your mellotron <laughs> Always. Okay, yeah. okay. Just, don't, just remember to plug it in when you bring And then it back. his last question was, can you turn down the bass for a few minutes? <laughs> We're cutting vocals. Is that a question? That's more of, yeah, it's more of a, just an ongoing statement that I get a text message. Well, what's kind of cool, it goes to the same thing we were saying earlier about, you know, your friends, as you 
go further, R- Ricky Reed and I had our first single together, and now we're doing an album on Interscope together. You guys work together, and you have a studio on top and below. Yeah, we share below. a studio. You so. share a studio with each other, and it's like when it comes down to it, it's it becomes your friends just working your way up. Yeah, and that's why that was so cool in the beginning because you guys are all are a community that will continue to grow together, and that literally is what it's about. You know, it's, yeah. it's just keeping those connections and those friendships that you guys have and like you guys will eventually just all be the music industry that's just the way it goes i remember someone saying that to me early on like i think it was barbara kane at bmi who's like the best ever um but barbara said to me once like you're the music industry and i remember thinking like that sounds insane and and then years down the line though it's like you are you like you become the music industry sure so explain your relationship with your pro who is now evolved well, into other relationships. So, okay. so the band's kind of, as our band started kind of fading out and we realized other, you know, people were, had other interests and things were happening, I was fully pursuing production at that point and like producing for other people and making tracks and, you know, spending hours in my room making hip hop beats and shit. Um, I moved down to Los Angeles where Ricky Reed was uh, also doing a lot of the same stuff. And so... Casey, this guy right here, was was working at BMI at the time and uh, literally just opened so many doors for me. Like, your PROs are such a, a big asset of of your guys' careers. PROs are BMI, ASCAP, ASCAP CSAC. All that stuff. Global, which is another. Which is, like, their job to basically, like, help connect you and, and you know. And so Casey, basically at the time, like, me, him, and Ricky all met. And at the, at, it was like right around that time that Ricky was looking to maybe sign some people in case he had just moved to a, a new um, publishing company. And so we like decided to like, let's try this out. This could be a cool thing. And so that basically started my whole like production and, and writing career. So you moved down to LA. Do you have any social life happening at this point? Like, are you just like, oh, I'll just go wherever I need to go? Or I mean, like, are you in a relationship at this point? Yeah. So I, when I moved to San Francisco, I met my now wife literally the second day I was in San Francisco. And she's been an incredible, like, she's, I mean... But she, she was just down to go, you were like, let's go down to LA. She's like, all right. Well, her her parents live in LA. Uh, so okay. that made it a lot easier. Right. Dude, when we came down here, it was crazy. I mean, the band was fading. Uh, we literally, like, Why moved was it in fading? With her. I mean, you guys just, moved out to San Francisco together and then it's just... Yeah, I mean, just, I think uh, literally like, when our manager, Steve, passed away, that, like, hit us really big and kind of put the brakes on things a little bit because we all kind of figured like, you know, what are we doing actually? Things weren't quite moving as fast as I think we wanted them to. Um, I think life was starting to get in the way a little bit. We all kind of had other things we were starting to do. Um, So we moved down to LA and uh, literally moved in with Michelle's parents for a little bit, trying to figure out what we wanted to do. Like, I didn't know LA that much. I was like either driving or like taking the train down and biking to to sessions um but finally we ended up getting an apartment down in la and that made things a lot easier but what i didn't have a car for a bi- time. biking to sessions yeah biking or, or taking the train to sessions i didn't have a car when i first moved down here right being in san francisco so how do you so how do you logistically get from michelle's parents house to say like westlake <laughs> a series westlake of tra- planes trains and automobiles um, I mean, it must have taken hours. So to there's get a train LA. in Santa Clarita where her parents live 
that it's just like the Metrolink or whatever, the, and you take the train down, get off at Union Station, you get on the, the what is it, the red or the purple Metro, yeah. take that all the way up to Santa Monica, and then you just take another bus or just walk down Santa Monica. And then Lake. when you're done with the session, you have to take the same way back. back. Or you have to leave the session early because the, the train doesn't only leaves at a certain time. Oh my God. Yeah, de- definitely get a car if you live in LA. It's much right, easier. exactly. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, how do you go from that to, I guess, Wiggles probably the first, like. Yeah, that- so Wiggles kind of, the, I guess, the first, first one. Um, so. There's a producer named Accident, who's an amazing producer. And at the time, Ricky Reed and Accident were working a bunch on his re- on the wallpaper record. How do you explain Accident? Just the best dude, but he's just like a kind yeah, of... Yeah, he's, he's a... You know, they're, they're musicians where um, they're, true, they're true artists. And maybe that doesn't... Um, Maybe they're they're off on another, on another, another planet. planet. And Accident, who I love dearly... yeah. Is, He's one of those is proudly off on another planet. <laughs> so, yeah. So, basically, the two of them had an idea. Like, everyone had been kind of grinding, doing sessions in L.A., working super hard, and we're like, let's, like, get out of the city a little bit and, and like, be creative and, and do something a little bit differently. So, um, me and a couple other people, and I think it was five of us, started this little thing called um, Start From Infinity, which is the strangest name, and I don't even know how we got to that, but... Basically, five of us, we went out to Joshua Tree was the first trip. Um, and I highly recommend doing this, especially if you're like writing or producing. Basically, getting out of the city and just spending a week together in a house. Just make the weirdest stuff. Just get it all out. And out of that first trip, we actually got the instrumental to Wiggle by Jason Derulo. Um, and we got a Tim McGraw song called The View. And I think there was a Fireball? One. Not that that was oh. a later trip. Boss? No, no, that no, that was really uh, that first trip. I think was just the Wiggle instrumental in in the Tim McGraw song. Worth worth the trip. Definitely worth the trip. And and basically, like we just found this crew of people that like had the best kind of chemistry. Like it, it was so simple. We had fun. We were partying and making music. We were just being really creative and like. You know, we'd spl- I think there was actually six of us. We'd split up into two groups of three and we'd be like, okay, you have an hour, go outside, you write a song on acoustic. The other people go on the computer, make a beat and, and we'll, then we'll flip-flop and we'll all compare and see which one is the best, you know? Like really creative, fun ways to make music. What was it like to hear Wiggle on the radio 
having done, you know, being in a rock band and doing all this, and then you go away and then your first hit is is Wiggle. It's like doesn't sound like anything that you've done as an artist up until up until yeah. that point. What is it like to be like this is the first song that like kind of represents you know, it's the first song in your discography. <laughs> that represents me as, kind as a human. Kind of. I mean, it, <laughs> no, people totally. look at your discography and they kind of like look at you. You know, that's how they start to to judge you. Well, and over time, your, you hearing a song on the radio it. for the first time is like definitely is one of the best feelings ever. It's a feeling that I don't think ever really gets old. And especially at that point, I had been in the music industry for I don't know a good seven years or something. So it was a very much like a, a like like it's something starting to work, you know? It, the industry can be tough, you know? It just takes a lot of hard work and a lot of persistence. And um, so that was, like, definitely a moment where I, it was a very good feeling. And up until that, you even question, you know, I guess shouldn't say you, but I guess the idea is most of us, I think, question, am I crazy for still going to all these sessions? And Totally. Still well, it's to have... funny because music is such an intense passion that, like, a lot of times you don't question it. And you just keep going and going and going because it's just you just have so much drive. But yeah, at a certain point, you, I guess you kind of do turn around and go like, "Wait a second, right? What am I doing?" Yeah. But uh, that moment definitely was a, was a nice moment. So Wiggle does really well, gets you a BMI award, goes you know multi platinum. Yeah, that was also another nice moment is getting on stage at the BMI Awards to accept an award with Snoop Dogg. Oh, that was sick. definitely a highlight. Yeah. You're like Snoop, I'm Joe. Hey, hey man. <laughs> um, Can I get your autograph? Here's a, an interesting question, and I'll go to this other segment that we have planned. You don't know this. <laughs> I'm going to call this segment, um, What Would Thomas Rhett Ask You? Oh, boy. So I asked Thomas, I said, what would you say? And he goes, why Joe London? Why not Joe Nebraska or Joe England? <laughs> oh. So I think that's a fair question going into this next phase. I mean... Before this, you're Joe Sparger. Yeah. And then, um, as Thomas Rhett asked, why, why Joe, Joe London? London? Okay, why, so not Th- why not Joe Nebraska or Joe England? So I had this thing for a long time where it's like, nothing sounds good after Joe. Like, no last name sounds cool. And so I was in the shower one day, which is a great place to get some thinking done. Uh, and it literally just popped in my head. I was like, Joe London actually sounds kind of cool. Like it has, it actually has a nice little ring to it. And so that same day I actually was getting coffee with Casey and uh, I was like, hey, I'm thinking of like making a producer name. I don't know why, but, but why not? Um, and so Joe London sounds cool. Like, what do you think? And he was like, thought about it for a second. He was like, I think it's a good idea. He's like, I think if, if I got an email, I would much rather do a session with Joe London than I would with Joe Sparger. So let, I think you should do it. And I was like, Yes, that's why I did it. I feel like, I mean, we have this conversation kind of a lot because it's, it's so accurate. And the amount of people don't, that don't want to change their name. The and, you know, everything. it's sort of like, but the name's everything. I mean, I was just too late to do it. I think <laughs> oh, yeah, by the well, time I was like, oh, what I want to change gonna it. Be? I don't know if I, I don't know if I really got that far. But like, I, I think it, there were, there were so many times where, man, I, I should change my name, but. I'm too far into this one now. I'm too far into that. Yeah, you've it's gone like too far. I've gone too it's far. Never to too late, it. man. Just New like identity. All, all of a sudden next year, it's you know <laughs> whatever. Ross the boss. Actually, <laughs> I was is. with I was with a uh, um, 
Dre and Vidal did caught up for Usher. Mm-hmm. They were like the first real producers that pulled me out of being in a band. And they used to call me Ross the Gloss. And I was like, mm, I don't know. But then they started calling me Gloss and they would call me Gloss in front of... So there's like a small community somewhere in Philly who's like... Gloss. Gloss. The legend of Gloss. The legend of Gloss grows somewhere. <laughs> somewhere dark, somewhere cold. Um, okay, so you have Wiggle and then like a whole slew of things start coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, Fireball, which is just a massive licensed song. And it's like... I feel like everybody knows it kind of really breaks open John Ryan in a lot of ways. It's like, mm-hmm. a, even though he was on other songs and stuff, outside of, like, for him, he had been doing a mm-hmm. bunch of the, you know, the One, One Direction stuff. stuff, and then this kind of, like, shows that he's, you know, someone different than just that. You know, that that seems to be, like, a, even though it wasn't necessarily a huge radio song, it seemed like that was, yeah, that that was like, a real really, defining song yeah. for all of you guys. Mm-hmm. And that song really blew up in a lot of doors, I think, for everybody. Um, so funny story that song was written with the same group of people that did um, those other the Wiggle and the, and the other songs and that that was a trip where we actually rented a house in Oxnard and uh, actually crazy story we wrote so many songs we wrote like six songs that whole trip and I think five of them got cut and, and came out um, and the crazy thing is we wrote we wrote Fireball and we wrote a song the same day called Day Drinking while we were day drinking Fireball so convenient. You so know, you're right about what you know. It's so, <laughs> so economical. But there's something I think just all those songs that came out of that group is there's just something about being comfortable with the people you're working with and like just having fun. Like those are fun records and I think it translates because we were actually having fun while we were making them. You know? How do you jump from Pitbull to Tim McGraw and Faith Hill? Do you know what I mean? Like where yeah, how does know. it I mean, what's the story? How do you get over, you know, the you you to be able to write in different genres is unusual, and then those are so polar opposite yeah. in a way. Who introduces you to the Nashville world? Well, I guess I mean, t- starting off like growing up, my dad like is a huge country music fan. Growing up in like in you know the Midwest, country music is really big in the Midwest. So like every Sunday morning, I remember my dad listening to the country countdown Hall of Fame, you know, or, or whatever the the Sunday like playlist of country music was. So like growing up, I always had like a little bit of a, an education on country music, but it was definitely like a genre I never pursued in, by any means. Um, but I basically down the line, I just met Thomas Rhett. Um, he was in L.A. looking to do some sessions. We got set up. I think I believe it was he liked Wiggle. And someone basically had set me and Sean Douglas, who also was a writer on Wiggle, set us up with a session with Thomas. And um, we wrote us, we actually didn't write a very good song, but it was like good. But we had really good chemistry, me, Sean, and Thomas, really good, great chemistry. So at the end of the session, he's like, guys, I got to go. He was actually going to get like, I think he was getting dinner with Ashton Kutcher or something. He's like, I got to go. I'm getting dinner with Ashton Kutcher. And we're like, okay, it's <laughs> weird, but okay. Um, but he's like, I, this was really fun. You guys should come out on the road with me. I like I like to bring songwriters out on the road and like write while I'm on tour. And we were like, that sounds incredible. We've never done anything like that. So he, so basically, he flew us out to we were in like Little Rock, Arkansas, or something like some really strange place we'd never been before. And the first song we wrote on the bus was "Die Happy Man." And so that song like really just fully opened the door into the country music world for me. 
What makes you a good country songwriter? I mean, I think part of like being a pop writer going to Nashville, like you really do kind of have to understand a little bit of the country songwriting like world and you have to know those songs a little bit. And I think growing up like knowing country music, I was I was actually able to bring something to the table. I think a lot of pop writers who go to country can get a little bit lost in the in the mix of like trying to write a pop song for country or trying to write a country song that's pop, you know, you kind of get like lost in that mix. Um, but I don't, I mean, I don't really know. I think I just kind of had a, it was kind of in my, in my consciousness a little bit from being a kid growing up. How long did it take for that song from when you wrote it for, to when it came out? I think it was about a year actually before it came out. And it was one of those songs that like, I, you know, when you, you guys know, it's like when you go around, you play, you play your music for people. Like usually the second you play it, you're like, oh shit, there's so many things wrong with this that I have to fix. Um, but that song, even just the demo, it was just guitar and vocal. I like, that was always one I put on and I was like very confident in it. I was like, this is a great song. I know it's a great song. Um, hopefully they put it out because you never know, you know, great songs don't come out a lot of times, but I just was really confident in that one. And it was one that I'd play and and feel really good about. And so when it actually finally came out, I was really excited, and I was just excited that it actually caught on. Do, I mean, it caught on like nothing else that you had seen even since you were a professional songwriter as far as country music's concerned. Yeah. Were you, were you aware of how significant of a song it was? I mean, no, even people have no. multi-week number one songs that don't necessarily become evergreens. And, you know, it's, it's sort of a thing where... I mean, the stars do have to align. Yeah. You know? And luckily for that song, they just, they did. And and I, I still don't quite know exactly how the stars do align, but... Sure. But, uh... So what know. about Bomba Estero? It's another project that you're pretty deep in that's been Grammy nominated and it is, it's nominated again. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, both Thomas and Bomba Estero, you've had enough work on both albums, the last two albums, to be nominated now twice for both. Um, Explain the Latin music world and why would you spend time in the Latin music world? I mean, that one was just like a perfect, like when we did that first album, we weren't like trying to do, there wasn't like, like now there's kind of this thing where like Latin music is like really making a heavy push and influence into pop music. But at that time, that wasn't really the thing. We just had heard, we had heard the band and we were big fans of the band. And so it was like a very weird project to kind of work on, but but we were very inspired by them in their first album. Um, and I think it was another one of those things where we like, we did a couple of days with me and this is me and, and Ricky Reed, who's, who's also a producer on the project. Um, we flew down to Colombia and did did like half the record there, and then we did the other half in LA. And I think it just the chemistry was so good that it, something really good came out of it. Yeah, it's amazing, man. Um, what are you working on now? It's a good question. Kind of just honestly stockpiling a lot of stuff, trying to figure out what to do next. I mean, of course, I'm there's some country stuff I'm working on and, and some pop stuff, but really trying to find find kind of a new thing you know searching for like a new new sound or or something like and a lot of times you write you've been writing now for three years straight and i think 
you know, a lot of times you go in and you, you kind of do the same chords or like you pull up the same sounds and really trying to find that new thing, you know, just like really experimenting. And like this whole week, I'm actually rented out a studio with a buddy of mine and we're just making stuff with no thought of what it could be or what it is, just making it. Is that how you find a new sound? Yeah. I think, you know, it's like the second you're trying to make something, you're, you, there's a target. A lot of times you've like already failed. You know, if you're trying to do something, you've kind of already, you've, you've lost the inspiration to just create something. So like th- that, and that's actually what we were doing when we started doing those Start From Infinities. We weren't trying to, there was no like, we're going to write a song for Jason Derulo. It was just like, we're going to go make something. And that's, and that's kind of how we got a bunch of weird stuff that actually ended up working. So I think it's just trying to be really creative and let all the walls down and just let stuff out. And I think for me personally, that's, that's just worked for me a lot. Because um, the second I sit down, I try and make a song. I end up just doing something I already did. You Do you know? know when a song is good? I know when I get that feeling that like this, is, this moves me. You know, I think I think when you make something, you, that's really the only thing you can like listen to is that kind of gut, you know, gut intuition thing. It just tells you like, this is good. You know? If you tried to define a hit song, how would you do that? I don't know. I think it's I think it's impossible, really. Like, do you have your own sort of method in how you write, or you know, is it, or do you like the going in and just trying to make sounds and then hoping that it turns into a song? Like, is it, it just like seeing what comes off the top of your head or do you like more structured kind of writing It's weird. Sessions? I kind of go between both of those, actually. Because sometimes, like, I, I love, my two favorite things are, like, an amazing song that has, like, a, a track that it's, like, the record is just an incredible record. You know, like, some of those Bruno Mars records are, like, insane just as productions and as pieces of music. But then I also love just the beautiful song acoustic just where the song moves you so much that you know we call it my wife and i call it the pullover song it's like when you're driving the freeway and a song comes on and it's so moving that you have to pull the car over because you need to you know compose yourself a little bit those are my two favorite things and i think those are always what i'm kind of trying to one one or the other i'm trying to kind of go one of those ways sure all right well let's go to the next segment this segment is i'm gonna list five people you're just gonna tell me something about them great Steve Brodsky, your first manager. Oh, man. I mean, it's hard for me to talk about Steve and not get a little emotional. Um, he's, I mean, he's like the light, you know. Um, he's just the, the, the dude who, like, gave a lot of us passion and, like, fueled our passion and, and showed us the first door, you know. He's like a brother, I don't know. It's amazing. I, I'd only met Steve a few times and obviously through Ricky and through Casey and, and whatnot. And, you know, it's, he was just, you know, his manager was our age. It wasn't like, you know, it's not like this guy was a 80 year old guy sort of thing. So it was, it was really sudden. It was really shocking to sort yeah. of see that, but obviously he connected dots and we're still talking about him now. So he's, yeah. he's the best, you know, Ricky Reed. Oh man, Ricky, uh, just also like a brother i mean he's he's been um just a constant source of inspiration for me you know he opened a lot of doors in the beginning um he's been very just open with his knowledge um i've just learned so much from him i have seven names by the way so i've got five more (laughs) okay and you can't stop me 
None of I'm, you can. I'm, you could press the spacebar, but that'd be weird. <laughs> yeah. And difficult to edit. I'm just going to edit it out, so it's fine. Sorry. Sean Douglas. Oh, man. Sean, uh, just one of the funnest people to write with. He's like, honestly, one of the best dudes I know as a human. Um, and every time, I'm, he's like one of those people you walk in the room with and you just start smiling and you don't really know why. Totally. He just kind of brings a light that uh, that's really, really awesome. There aren't that many people that I like wheeze with. Yes. Like, like wheeze. Yes. Yeah. You wheeze with Sean yes. Douglas. Very funny dude. He's the best. Thomas and Rhett. so talented, by the way. Sean's oh, yeah, super talented. talented. Thomas Rhett. <sighs> kind of falls into a similar category. Uh, no, I mean, Thomas, like... Especially with like the level of of kind of like stardom that he's had in the last couple of years, to see a guy who just is so genuine as a human, and his stage just like an amazing guy through through all the craziness in his career. Um, he's an amazing dude. He's an amazing father and husband, and and I look up to him a lot. Your publisher, Casey Robinson. Woo! Well, of course, an amazing person and a good friend. But also someone who like really opened the doors for me in the beginning, um, and uh, and still continues to just be a big supporter of me, and I you know always appreciate that. Your manager, David Silberstein. David, crazy story about David and and how we know each other. So like right before my right before Steve passed away, um, Steve had sent David a message. Being, being like, I have this band. And there was like a very short period of time where my old band was going to start a new band. Um, and he sent David some of those demos. He's like, hey, I got this this new band. What do you think about them? Do you have any ideas for producers or anybody? One of the producers that David re- recommended was Daylight, who produced um, Stitches by Shawn Mendes. And uh, we actually did his first cut together, which we produced a song called Boss for Fifth Harmony. And that all basically came through Steve uh, emailing David, which is how we met and how David came to manage me. Um, So long long story short, David is like a a saving grace for me and, you know, somebody that I can call whenever when I'm either struggling or having the best time ever and we can, you know, plan shit out. Your wife, Michelle Mason. Oh, man. She's also my interior designer. (laughs) Uh, Michelle is like, I mean, literally the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, We, uh, (laughs) I actually wrote a song uh, with with a, a Nashville guy. That's hasn't come out, and I don't know if it will. But the 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 title of the song is called "Favorite Part." And the lyric literally is everyone, everybody's favorite part of me is you. And it sounds a little like sad maybe, but it's just so true. I mean, she's just like such a light. That's true. It's, it is true. I know. <laughs> exactly. She's fantastic. <laughs> she's You're literally, okay. she's the best. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, she's, yeah. and she's been so supportive through all the ups and downs of, of my career. And, and uh, yeah, she's the best. Um, before we close out, mm-hmm. Um, we're doing this podcast and the writer Woo! is together. How about that? How crazy is that? I know it all came from one elevator trip from the BMI offices. I mean, that's a weird thing. Did you have any idea this was going to work? No, 
now. I mean, that's I'm kind of one of those people who, and I think you're kind of like this too. Like, I'm almost a person of too many hobbies. Like, I just get, I get really, I get inspired not easily, but when I get inspired, like I, I can't stop thinking about something unless I do something about it. And so, just the idea of a podcast, and then you know, we had a trip. We were at BMI, and, and Ross in this little meeting was like. I, you know, I really want to start this podcast about songwriters and my ears kind of perked up in the meeting. I was like, that sounds awesome. And literally in our elevator trip down, I was like, yo, I love your podcast idea. Like, let me help record them and, you know, I can produce the podcast or whatever. And, and here we are. It's crazy, but... What do you think of the host? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You, you know, he's still that. learning. So. Yeah. so, Well, it's so weird because, you know, like we released the first 12 episodes before hearing them. Like no, that's not right. We released the four, the first twelve episodes. Um, they were all recorded before. Um, I don't know what am I saying. We recorded all twelve episodes before we released any. There it is, and um, and so you're listening to to twelve weeks of of yourself naturally just talking to people, and if you really want to learn about yourself. Listen to yourself talk for one hour every week. And it's shocking. You will learn so much about how you communicate and it will change how you communicate outside of a podcast. And it is yeah. it is shocking to like have gone on, on this on so, that journey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um but I, I I like doing podcasts with you. Yeah, that's great. Uh what is some advice you would give up and coming writers. Now let's let me think for a second. Um, I think it's just just make make stuff, like just continually make shit. You know, it's I think it's like that simple. Like you just gotta keep making stuff and making stuff and making stuff, and and of course you gotta like make connections and and you know and. Uh, have people to send that stuff to but like the best stuff will be heard and so i think you just got to like really really make as much stuff as you can and, and just really work on your craft and uh and i think it will pay off if you just really put the work in well joe this is well, awesome ross <laughs> no this is really cool i mean you know we we haven't really introduced you to our audience yet mm -hmm. And so it's been cool to have this conversation um, for a, a number of reasons. But on a personal level, I couldn't imagine doing this kind of project with someone who isn't as... You're, you're so meticulous when it comes to the actual recording, when it comes to the editing, you pay attention, you bring really good questions when you, you know, you, you're, you think about this in a unique cerebral way. But most importantly, you're humble and you're sweet and you're encouraging for me to pursue something like this and for our entire team at Big Deal, you know, Mega House, for us to be pushing something like this, you know, as far as we have, we're, we're not getting paid. We're not doing this because we're making a bucket of money. We're doing this because we love songwriters mm -hmm. and we love the community and we like the music business. And we want to just help out. Yeah. And and 
you being with me throughout this process is why it's still going and why I feel like it, it can continue to go. So thank you for doing this. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and I love you. And there love you go. Too. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silverstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. On next episode, we sit down with Allie Willis. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.